0: Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want to set the, the context of what we're going to be looking at this evening. Remember that Jesus' hour has come. He has talked about it throughout his entire ministry. We've We've seen it often when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes would attempt to arrest him and they never could. He would always just pass through their hands because as we're told over and over again his hour had not yet come. He has been ushered into Jerusalem now his last trip to Jerusalem ushered in by these multitudes that are shouting and screaming and welcoming the king of Israel and in Mark and Luke We're told that when he came into Jerusalem, he went to the temple and cleansed the temple the second time. Remember, he's already cleansed the temple once at the beginning of his ministry. And now at the end of his ministry, he goes in and cleanses it again. How quickly corruption can sneak back in. And then after cleansing the temple, he and the disciples go back Out of Jerusalem to Bethany to spend the night in Bethany. Either at Simon the leper's house or at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus house. I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler for the future here. This had to confuse the multitudes. When he went into the temple and cleansed the temple, that had to greatly encourage them. Look, he's taking charge. And then he leaves. And doesn't even stay in Jerusalem. This is supposed to be his capital city. And he leaves. Here's the spoiler. This is the beginning of their disenchantment with Jesus as their Messiah. He is already not living up to the expectations. We've gone out. We have greeted him. We have escorted him in. We have welcomed him as our king and... He's not doing anything we expected him to do. He arrives back in the temple the next morning, early, and every morning thereafter, during the week, he arrives early at the temple and then he sits down to teach and to heal. And the multitudes just flood into the temple. I mean, the place is crowded. Uh, They want to be near him. They, They want to hear him. They want to have a selfie with the king. They want to be healed. And so these multitudes are there and Jesus is teaching and he's healing and he's confounding his enemies, even as we heard from Mark this evening. Every time his enemies, whether they're the Sadducees and the chief priests or whether it's the scribes and the Pharisees or no matter who it is. When they try to trap him, when they they try to prove him wrong, he always leaves them looking like monkeys. And you know the crowd had to love that. Last week we began looking into his last public address before his crucifixion. Right here in John chapter 12. And we're told in verse 36 that after he had spoken to the crowd, he departed and hid himself. So his public ministry after verse 36 is over. Now he's going to devote the last day just to his 12 disciples and to teaching of the 12 disciples. We'll pick up with that next week, Lord willing, in chapter 13. But this afternoon we're going to learn how Jesus wraps up his public ministry with one final public invitation. To believe on him for eternal life. So if you would follow along as I begin reading in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said. He who believes in me does not believe in me. But in him who sent me. And he who sees me. Sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world. So that everyone who believes in me. Will not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak from myself. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. See there in verse 44. Jesus cried out. In other words, this is loud. He's speaking at the top of his lungs. This is to the crowds that have gathered in the temple to listen to him. What we have here is tacked on to verse 36. This is folded into verse 36. This is the last part of his public ministry. On that last day of his public ministry. So everyone can now clearly hear what he's about to say. And these are his very last words to the crowds in the temple. And in these seven verses that we have here, the Lord Jesus Christ summarizes all that he has taught throughout the three years of his ministry. Especially all that he's taught about himself. And he gives one final warning and one final invitation. So in verses 44 and 45... Yet again, the Lord Jesus Christ boldly asserts that he is essentially one with Yahweh. Look at what he says. He who believes in me does not believe in me. And you say, wait a minute, what does that mean? What he's saying there is he who who believes in me doesn't believe in me only. You're not just believing in me, the man Jesus. But if you believe in me, you believe in him who sent me another spoiler and I'll bring this up later him who sent me all of the Jews know who he means by him who sent me they've heard him for three years and he's constantly referring to the father to the father to the father and back in chapter 6 he said I've not come of my own accord but he who sent me is the reason I've come He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I'm going to have to read it. I've I've just gone completely blank on that particular verse. But John chapter 6, look at verses 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my father who sent me, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So they all know that he's talking about the one he calls his father. And by this time, they know who the one he calls his father is. It's their God. It's Yahweh. And so Jesus says here. For the last time in public. He who believes in me. Does not believe in me only. But you're believing in him who sent me. You're believing in my father. You're believing. In Yahweh. What he's saying is. We're inseparable. We are one. Now he's. Repeating things here at the end, and we're going to see this as he goes along. Remember in chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. That was scandalous, but he's making the same statement here. He's saying that the Father, Yahweh, your God, my Father, That he and I have the same mind. We have the same heart. We have the same purpose. We have the same eternality. Woo. Before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I am. And he says, he who believes in me does not believe in me only, but in him who has sent me, you're believing in the Father. You trust in me. You trust in the Father. We're going to see this come up again in chapter 14. Then in verse 45, <clears throat> he says, He who sees me, sees the one who sent me. This is a, a specific word for seeing. Normally the word that's translated see means what we mean by see. You come in here and you see what's here. You, nothing particular about it. This word means to see to contemplate to observe closely he says if you've been listening to me and you observe me closely you're you're checking me out if i can put it like that when you're learning me you're learning the father you're learning you're looking into the very character of yahweh to observe me closely is to study Yahweh himself. Now, I've got, I can't, the only word I can come up with is disclaimer. But disclaimer is not what I'm trying to say, but that's the word I'll use anyway. I'll give you a disclaimer about this in just a moment. Because what does it sound like Jesus is saying? He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me, sees him who sent me. That can send you down the wrong path if you're not careful. And we're going to deal with it here in just a minute. But now we're going to continue on. When he says, he who observes me closely is looking into the very character of Yahweh. The author to the Hebrews helps us understand this a little bit better. When he says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his nature. That to look at Jesus, to observe Jesus, to contemplate Jesus, is to look into the very nature of God. And then in Colossians 1.15, Paul makes it plain. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is the invisible God made visible. And we're going to have to deal with that in just a minute as well. Now he's going to repeat this again just for the 12 in chapter 14 and verse 9. This is so important. that He's going to make sure that before he leaves them, they have this nailed down. I'm not the Messiah the Jews expect. I'm not the Messiah you expected. You need and you must understand who I am. Now they're getting glimpses of it. In this last year of the Lord Jesus' life. But they have to fully understand. Who he is. Because if he is not. Yahweh incarnate. We're still in our sins. Because no creature could. No sinful creature. Not even a sinless creature. Would be a suitable sacrifice. For all of our sins. Now remember. Remember. Jesus is speaking very loudly to Jews he's saying that he is inseparable from the father to Jews these are rigorous, uncompromising monotheists their creed for 1400 years has been, hear o Israel Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one They know exactly who Jesus means when he says, the one who sent me. He's talking about the God of the opening of the Red Sea. Who parted the Red Sea and Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. He's talking about the God who came down on Sinai, and Sinai, the whole mountain quaked and it smoked, and the flames billowed up from the peaks of Sinai. It looked like a blast furnace out there in the desert, and the trumpet was blowing louder and louder, and the whole ground quaked, and they were filled with horror that holy, holy, holy God had come down on them. This is who he's talking about. He's talking about the God who parted the Jordan River just like he parted the Red Sea. You can't part a river. No, it keeps flowing. How do you part it? Well, if you're God, it's no big deal. He parted, he he made the Jordan stand up in heaps until Israel passed over and then it flowed again. He's talking about the God who made the sun stand still when Israel was attacked. Until they had finished destroying their enemies. He's talking about the God of Elijah and Elisha. He's talking about the God who raised the Shunammite son. Hmm. And Jesus has raised at least three people that we know of in the Gospels. He's talking about the God who fed the widow of Zarephath and her son and Elijah. On just a little handful of meal and a little portion of a bottle of oil. For months, off that handful of meal and that little bit of oil until the famine passed by. Just like Jesus had fed 5,000 and then 4,000 with just a handful of fish and a handful of bread. Hmm. He's making it crystal clear. If you trust in me, you're trusting in Yahweh. We are inseparable. We are one. And the miracles I performed and my father's own audible voice three times confirmed that. And if you believe in me and everything that I've said about myself, you're also by definition also already believing in Yahweh. Because we're one. Now you see how this lays the ground for 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We're one. Now at this point I'm compelled to deal with the notion about Jesus being one with the Father. Being of the same essence as the Father. Being truly God as the Father is truly God. But he's not the father See these verses could if you're not careful lead you to make a wrong conclusion and I'm afraid I hate to say it and because we're all Baptists here I can pick on us I keep running into this among Baptists that there's this confusion today between the Lord Jesus Christ the Son and the Father Let me see what let me tell you boy The fact that Jesus says, Him who sent me, is definite proof that Jesus is not the Father, but He is distinct from the Father. God is a trinity. That's no news to anybody here tonight. He is three distinct persons. Each person truly and fully God And the three persons are in the one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not a monad. A monad would be if God was just one person. Like Allah. Or like the God of the Jews. They think they worship Yahweh, but they got it wrong. they, They think God is just one person. A monad would be if God was one person playing three different roles. In other words, if you had this one person who in the Old Testament is the Father, and then you come to the Gospel, and he is the Son. And then after the day of Pentecost, then God behaves and plays the role of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to do an apology of of this now, but if that were so, who is God the Son praying to on the cross? So, In all those places uh, where you have all three persons in the gospel showing up. Like at at Jesus' baptism. Where the Holy Spirit's there. The Father's there. The Lord Jesus is there. Okay, which role are you playing? If you're only one person. This proves it. But anyway. The concept that Jesus is the Father is an ancient heresy. Uh, Very early in the church, like within the first 200 years of the life of the church, this cropped up in an attempt to try to somehow give a human understanding to what Jesus said about himself and the Father. It's a heresy. God the Son became human. The Father did not become human. The Father has never been human. He will never be human. The incarnate Son died on the cross. The Father did not die on the cross. If God is only one person and not three, then all creation would have vanished when God the Son died on the cross. Everything would have just disappeared because God would have been dead. But God the Son's incarnation died on the cross. The Father didn't and the Holy Spirit didn't. So, we have to be careful that we don't inadvertently deny the Trinity in our praying. This is where I'm going. This is the point for this whole disclosure. The Father did not shed his blood for us. And I've heard people pray that. Father, we thank you that you shed. No, he did not die on the cross. They'll be talking to the Father, 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 Father. Father, thank you that you died for us. No, the Father did not die for us. The the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, died for us. The Father did not rise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. So, I said all that to say this. When we pray, especially praying publicly, we must pray with our renewed minds. Not merely with our emotions. When we pray publicly, we must be careful not to let your mouth get ahead of your renewed mind. Sometimes we get into a rhythm of father, 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 father. And if you're not paying attention to what you say, you speak heresy. And we don't want to speak heresy. That's an inadvertent speaking of heresy, and we don't want to do that. So, pray with our minds, not merely with our emotions. Be careful not to let our mouths get ahead of our renewed minds. Now, moving on with the text tonight. Verse 46, after saying that he and the Father are inseparable... Verse 46, the Lord Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. I've come as light into the world. That's a reminder of what he said in chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. What does light do? Light shows us what's really there. Light shows us reality. Darkness hides the reality from us. Darkness keeps us ignorant of what's actually there. And darkness is dangerous. I remember Bailey Smith. He was a a Baptist evangelist back when I was a young preacher. Uh, I remember Bailey Smith talking about he had gone to preach a crusade at a church near his hometown. And in counseling with people and, and all of that... It had gone late into the evening. And so he's driving back home late at night. And he got home about 1 o'clock in the morning. And he he didn't want to wake up his wife. It it was so late at night. He decided, I'll just sleep on the couch. So he took off his, his jacket. And he took off his tie. And he took off his shirt. And he just threw himself on the couch. Well, where the couch always was. And what he did was, he landed really hard on a coffee table. So, his wife heard it, and she jumps up out of bed and turns on the light and says, Honey, what happened? And he said, "There's the couch? And she said, Well, I just felt like moving furniture today, so... So his comment was, please let me know next time you feel like moving furniture. You know, <laughs> see, He thought he knew where the couch was. But in the darkness, he was wrong. And it was dangerous for Bailey Smith. When you went to the Grand Canyon here recently, I would recommend that when you visit the rim of the Grand Canyon, do so in the light. Don't do it at night in the darkness because that could be fatal. And for those who walk in spiritual darkness, it's fatal. Because they don't see Jesus for who he really is. They don't see God for the Father for who he really is. They don't see themselves for who they really are. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here in verse 46, "I have come as light into the world. I have been sent by the Father to reveal what the Father truly is, not what you think he is, but what he truly is." I've been sent that you would know what the Father's purpose has been from the very first. So that you would not remain in darkness and be condemned with the world. So that you would be saved. That's been the Father's purpose from the very first. I've been sent so that you would learn how we may be reconciled to the Father. And how we're reconciled to the Father is through faith in the Son The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says, so everyone who believes in me has faith in me will not walk in darkness. Well, What about those who don't believe? He addresses that in verses 47 and 48. And he says, now this is the king of Israel. This is God the son. What would you expect him to say about those who don't believe his words? Listen to what he says about those who don't believe his words. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him. On the last day. The last day being the judgment day. That great and terrible day. Of final judgment. He says. Anyone who hears my words. In other words. They hear with understanding. Anyone who hears what Jesus has to say. And knows what he's saying. They're not confused. They're old enough to understand English. Or old enough to understand Aramaic and Greek at this time. But they hear it. And yep, they got it. They know what he says. Anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. The word keep there, lasso is, is to guard. And it's the idea of guarding something very valuable. In other words, guarding your wallet. Guarding the deed to your house. I don't think any of us here have the deed to our property laying around in the living room on the coffee table or you don't have it in your kitchen on your kitchen table. You have it in a safe place. You're guarding it. So, to keep Jesus' words is to treat it as a treasure, as supremely valuable. To keep Jesus' words means you hear it, you believe it, you obey it. You treasure it. He says, anyone who hears my words and understands it, but doesn't believe, obey, or treasure what I've spoken, I, and that's emphatic, I, I myself, don't judge him. I'm not the one who's going to judge him. You say, but what about chapter 5, verse 22, where the Lord Jesus has already told them that the Father doesn't judge any man, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That's true. But remember where we are. Remember when we are. So the Lord Jesus says, anyone who doesn't keep my words, I myself don't judge him now. Because I did not come to judge the world now, but to save the world. You see, the, the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ has not come to judge the world is because the world's already judged. Keep your finger there in John 12. And go with me to chapter 3. We're all familiar. We could all recite John 3.16. That wonderful verse. But look at verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. But that the world might be saved through him. That sounds just like what Jesus has just said, right? But look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been what? Judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The reason Jesus hasn't come to judge the world is because the world's judged already. And it's only those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, only those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that will escape that judgment. At the last day when, as chapter 3 verse 36 says, the wrath of God abides on them. He has come to save us from the wrath of God. To save us from the judgment that we deserve. And then in verse 48 he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words. Hmm. There's only two classes of people in the world. Those who receive Christ and his word and those who reject him. There's no undecided category. We either receive Christ or we reject him. And on that last day, that terrible day, that great white throne judgment day. Those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ will be condemned by his words which they heard and understood. They know what he was saying. They know what he was offering. I give you eternal life if you trust in me. I give it to you without cost. Except it's going to cost you everything. All you are and all you have. But you don't have to work for it. I've already done all the work. I give you reconciliation to God. I give you adoption as sons of the living and true God if you trust in me if you entrust yourself to me and those who have heard that and rejected it will be condemned by the very offer that they heard and rejected see Jesus doesn't have to do anything on the last day to condemn those who have rejected him who have rejected his words, Because we have condemned ourselves already. It's like this. Uh, you, you come down with a fatal disease. You go to the doctor. And the, and the doctor says. Ah, there's this wonderful miracle cure for this disease. Here's a bottle of pills. Take these eight pills. And you will certainly and surely be healed of this disease. Everybody that has this disease and takes these pills, 100% they're healed. But you don't believe that doctor. Surely it's got to take more than that, not just eight little pills. And so you think, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You go home, put the pills up on the counter, and a year later you're dead. Why are you dead? Why did you die? Because you didn't believe the truth. You didn't believe. What the doctor told you. You didn't believe and therefore you didn't take the pills. He didn't have to kill you. Nobody had to kill you. You died simply because you didn't believe what you were told. Then in verses 49 and 50, notice what he says. For I did not speak from myself... That's why all it takes is the word that he spoke to us to condemn us on that last day. Because it's not just his words. It's God's words. God, all of God. All the triune God is their words. I did not speak for myself, but the Father himself who sent me. Now we're making plain who it was that sent him. The Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. He says, I did not speak for myself. And Susan will be familiar with what I'm just about to say. The word from here is our friend ek. E-K. It's a Greek word that means out of. So the usual word from is apa, which means as we normally think of from. From this point to that point. Ek means out of. When Jesus says, "I I did not speak out of myself. What he's saying is, what I've been teaching you and what I've been saying isn't my idea alone. It's not something that just came up out of my thoughts. It's not me speaking independently from the Father. No. Let me tell you where my teaching comes from. He says the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment. The very words to say. The very words to speak. In the Old Testament, God would raise up a prophet. To go to his wicked sinful people and take a message to his wicked sinful people. A message of warning to repent and a message of invitation to return back to him. And what God would say to the prophet is say... Thus says the Lord. And then whatever the message is. And when the prophet went and spoke to the people. He would say thus says the Lord. And he would quote word for word what God has said. You don't monkey around what the almighty God has said for you to say. God the father put his very words in the mouth of his prophets. Jesus is saying God the father put my very words into my mouth what I spoke to you is what the father has commanded me to speak to you this isn't some Baptist preacher this is God almighty's words and what was God's almighty's words and I know that his commandment is eternal life Last public address that Jesus is going to make to the crowds. The last words he's going to say to the multitudes who have welcomed him into Jerusalem are about eternal life. He's offering eternal life. He's inviting them to come to him for eternal life. I know that his commandment is eternal life. The Father wants you to have eternal life. I want you to have eternal life what I'm about to go through is so that you might have eternal life therefore the things I speak I speak just as the father has told me he ends there everything you've heard from me is from your God everything you've heard from me is so that you might trust me and that you might have eternal life. So that we might trust him and his words. So that we we might escape the darkness of the world and all of its stupid, crazy, weird religious thoughts and all of its polluted religions. That we might not be judged and condemned with the world, but that we might be saved out of the world. That we might be saved from the wrath of God and saved to spend eternity with the Father and with the Son in paradise. In paradise. Sinners like us. That we might spend eternity with God as His adopted children in paradise. He says... That's what I've been speaking to you all the time. The best picture in the New Testament of all this that Jesus is saying is the rich young ruler. Jesus is saying here, I haven't come to judge you. I've come to give you life, give you eternal life. And the rich young ruler is that illustration. I mean, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said... Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, turn from trusting in your riches and worshiping your riches and come follow me. Hmm. Trust me. Obey my words. Treasure what I have to say to you. And here's the eternal life. Here it is, young man. Take it. The Father sent me so that you might receive it the father has sent me so that you might be saved and I want you to have it and the rich young ruler counted the cost and decided nah so he rejected what the father had said he rejected what the son said he rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and he rejected the eternal life that the Lord Jesus Christ sent Jesus didn't condemn him matter of fact Luke tells us Jesus loved him But he didn't run after him saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's negotiate. Let's reconsider this. No. Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted him to be saved. Jesus wanted him to trust him. And Jesus let him walk away. Because he had rejected him. You see, the rich young ruler was condemned already. And Jesus had come to spring him from that condemnation. And to give him eternal life. The word I spoke is what will judge him on that last day. You heard, you understood, you rejected. But remember, why did I come? I didn't come to judge you now. But to save you. To give you eternal life. Am I harping on this? I hope so. The very words I've spoken to you are God's words. He and I are offering you eternal life if you will trust me. Believe me. Believe my words. And you'll be saved. That's good news. For sinners, that's good news. And there's also more good news. The Lord Jesus Christ's words are still speaking through his written word today. As his written word is read, he's still offering eternal life for those who will receive him as Lord and Master and King. His his words are still speaking through those who faithfully and accurately preach his word. His word is still speaking through those who faithfully use his word to witness to a lost friend. Still giving eternal life to all that will hear him to all that will obey him to all who will receive him as Lord that's good news hallelujah what a savior please stand with me